If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church, Sonora, California. We welcome you to our Sunday morning worship services under the leadership of Pastor David Bush. Stay tuned following today's program for more information about Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Here now is today's message from Pastor Bush. Okay, uh, I want to read Luke 12, uh, verse 4 to 7. Really, um, not so much to exegete this passage, but to give that note of encouragement to you that uh, Christ said some very sobering words when he said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, and yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. Uh, this, this series may have been a bit of a downer and <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, on, on one level we're looking at some very sober things, some realistic things, and to, it's helpful to identify this, but we wonder is, you know, is there no hope uh, in these kinds of passages? Uh, they may kill the body. We don't know what the future holds uh, for any of us, and yet uh, our fear is we fear God who can cast us into hell. He can preserve us. And so the hope that we have is that we're more valuable than a sparrow. And all the sparrows die. We're all appointed to, to die. And so if we give our lives for, for the kingdom of God, then, then that's an honor. Uh, but uh, if God should preserve us, then we honor him with our life. So to live is Christ, and to die may be, uh, be, be required, but remember, it is gain. So uh, for those of you who are joining us, um, we've actually covered 11 points so far. I'll just rehearse briefly what we've covered about um, tyranny and what tyrants do and how they went uh, various things in terms of unmasking tyranny. We looked at, first of all, that tyrants reject God's authority, that they uh, rule according to the dictates of their own standards, um, doing what's right in their own eyes. We talked about uh, tyrants establishing uh, standing armies and looked at the comparison between a, a well-trained militia in the language of our Constitution versus uh, army that sends our sons and daughters into wars of political leaders' uh, values and not necessarily uh, family values. Uh, third, we looked at uh, tyrants control the means of production, seeking to, to occupy the means of growing wealth. They, fourthly, want to control property. I talked about the communist idea that uh, as uh, Marx says, uh, communism is nothing more than the acquisition of property. Fifth, we looked at uh, that tyrants looked to the world for wisdom. 
again, seeking after a secular standard and denying the biblical uh, standards of objectivity. Sixth, tyrants want to control education. Uh, We know how uh, controlling education, what people learn, the history they learn, what they're taught, is a very easy way to control the masses. And uh, if you look at any college campus today, it should be abundantly evident that we are not educating our children in America, but we are actually diseducating them. They have become a, a, a source of shame on the world scene as how ridiculous American education has gotten. Uh, seven tyrants enslave their citizens through uh, becoming uh, lords over the people rather than servants to the people. Even though they'll make that claim, they uh, tyrannize us by way of a lordship that becomes very authoritative and uh, for their own self, um, self-interest. Uh, eight uh, tyrants love genocide. Uh, history is full of political leaders that have killed their citizens because of a difference of ideology. Uh, and that's no, small, that's no small thing, whether it be the, the millions that are killed in abortion or whether it be the slaughter of citizens in uh, Nazi Germany or the Russian gulags or Idi Amin and Pol Pot and the host of others that have been tyrants that have killed millions and millions of people. And the church, no doubt, that has been killed by wicked leaders. Uh, Tyrants, uh, number nine was they control the media. If you control the message that people can, that you control the news, uh, you can guide a society to the ends that you desire. Uh, then 10 tyrants want to control welfare rather than putting it, leaving it in the hands of the deacons and the church families. You put it in the hands of the state, and that becomes a tool to manipulate and to enslave a people. And then 11 tyrants want to disarm their citizens. Uh, a disarmed citizenry is no threat to a, people, to a people who are being tyrannical. And today I want to just consider my last two points, and I know I'm already twice as long as I should have been on my first page and getting that far. So I'm three minutes behind already. <laughs> two quick points and two extra pages of notes, so you stick, to, stick, uh, stick around and I'll finish off my notes, but I know the poor folks on the radio aren't going to get all the details that you will. So Let's look at that. Our 12th point is that tyrants want to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And here I want to look at, first of all, Manasseh, uh, clearly the, the worst king in all of Judah. Second um, Kings 21.1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places, which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Ashtra, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. 
He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, and he made his sons to pass through fire, practice witchcraft, and use divination, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Here Manasseh is bringing paganism into the church. Uh, Why? Because he wants to take away the exclusive claims of of God to rightful worship. And so what he does, he perverts the sanctuary, if you will, by bringing idols into the realm. Hezekiah had purged the land of these things. And Manasseh now brings that all back. And we could look to Jeroboam, who in a similar fashion in Israel makes his two calves to take the people away from the temple and have them worshiping uh, at these two locations where he establishes his calves. Pharaoh, remember how he kept the Jews so busy that they wouldn't have time to worship their God. Or Nebuchadnezzar, who, who wants the people of God to bow down to his idol. And we look at history and the examples of of tyranny of this sort that seek to destroy the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is uh, is numerous. Nero, Caligula, Domitian, the Stuart dynasty, Idi Amin, King George, Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, and the list goes on and on and on. It's not hard to find tyrants in history. It's harder to find sand on the beach than it is to find tyrants in history. And though we could stay here for, for months on end looking at this, in the Roman Empire, what I want you to understand is, is how tyrants work to destroy the church of God through a sinister means that sounds very, very good, this sort of soft tyranny of toleration. That mantra in our land of toleration that has been bought by the church as if this was a Christian virtue. You see, in the Roman Empire, Caesar was tolerant of all the other religions. All you had to do is just a pinch of salt, make a tiny little sacrifice, and declare Caesar's Lord. And you could live at peace in the empire. See, we tolerate all religions. All you have to do is just do this little act. And it was that little act that Christians could not do. And for that, they died in some of the most cruel martyrdoms ever conceived in the pit of hell. Tyrants love toleration. But tyrants will only be tolerant of those views that they personally accept. Julian the Apostate is a is a, a case in point that uh, uh, Philip Shaft does a wonderful job of, of demonstrating Julian the Apostate's sort of soft tyranny and through this policy of toleration. I'll read uh, a few choice quotes from his uh, history of the Christian church. 
He says that Julian considered it his great mission in life to reduce the religion of Jesus first to a contemptible sect and at last, if possible, to utter extinction from the earth. And you're going to say to me, well, Pastor Dave, how did that happen? Well, I'm glad you're asked. Let me tell you how that happens. He shows the policies of Julian. He says, mitered priests in purple were to edify the people regularly with sermons. Sounds good. That is, with allegorical expositions and practical applications of tasteless and immoral mythological stories. The preaching of the Word of God, in effect, came to be testimonies. Reports from our missionaries on the field, personal experiences and entertainment, and it wasn't preaching the word. It wasn't exegetical. It wasn't, this is what the Lord says. It was an entertainment. Schaff continues, he oppressed the church gently under a show of equity and universal toleration. He proceeded, however, here's where the hypocrisy comes in. He proceeded to banish Athanasius, who was particularly offensive to him, from Alexandria and even from Egypt, calling this greatest man of his age an insignificant mannequin and reviling him with vulgar language because through his influence, many prominent heathens, especially heathen women, passed over to Christianity. His toleration, therefore, was neither that of genuine humanity nor that of religious indifferentism, but a hypocritical mask for a fanatical love of heathenism and a bitter hatred of Christianity. He called heathens to higher office. If you're a Christian, you can't serve in a higher office. You know why? Because you're biased. But I'll I'll populate the high offices with all sorts of pagans. I'm going to back that up and continue the quote. He called heathens to the all higher offices and in case of their palpable disobedience, inflicted very mild punishment, if any at all. The Christians came to be everywhere disregarded by their complaints, dismissed from the tribunal with mocking reference to their master's precept to give their enemy their cloak as well as their coat and to turn the other cheek to his blows. And so you see, if you're a Democrat and you destroy government property, computers, telephones, commit felonies, There's no punishment for you. But boy, if Donald Trump says, hey, guys, come out and support me, that's impeachment. This is what's happening. Julian was first, and our politicians are just following in that that vein. Schaff continues, uh, they, speaking of the Christians, were removed from military and civil office, Deprived of all former privileges, oppressed with taxes, and compelled to restore without indemnity the temple property with all their own improvements on it and to contribute to the support of the public idolatry. 
Equally unjust and tyrannical was the law which placed all state schools under the direction of liberals, oh, I'm sorry, of heathens and promoted the Christian teaching, the sciences and the arts. Julian would thus deny Christian youth the advantages of education and compel them either to sink in ignorance and barbarism or to imbibe with the study of the classics in heathen schools the principles of idolatry. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. Your, your jaw would just drop when you read this account at how much Julian is do, doing back then when uh, and we're just embracing it all. And here I'll close with this last observation just so that I can offend everybody who hears this message. Um, He exempted the Jews from burdensome taxation and encouraged them even to return to the Holy Land and to rebuild the temple on Moriah in its original splendor. And you might ask, well, why would that be a bad thing, Pastor Dave? Well, you see, if you can get the Jews to go back and build that temple, number one, he looks much like Herod, this great builder. It's going to It's going to just simply play into his ego as a great builder, but it does something else that is more sinister that most people don't even get, not even many Christians in the land today. To go back to that temple, to reinstitute those sacrifices, would be such an offense to God because it gets the Jews going back to the types and the shadows, and it dilutes and negates the once-for-all sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. It would be a height of offense. And so this would have destroyed Christianity in the eyes of the Jews and uh, would bring uh, greater and greater uh, difficulty to Christians. So this toleration is nothing more than a smokescreen for the destruction of the church and to promote an intolerant ideology of a tyrant. Ask yourself, how does the tolerant left today react to your views? Or I I say my views, if you hold them. How do they feel about maintaining that there is an absolute truth? Very tolerant. That there is an objective ethic of right and wrong. The transcendent God, transcendent laws of God. Binary genders. The homosexual lifestyle. Donald Trump. National debt. The list goes on. How tolerant are they? How much freedom do you have to speak on those subjects? without the heavy fist of tyranny coming down and squashing that. That's toleration. And when Christians think that Christ came here to be tolerant of all views, they're just categorically wrong. Nobody, nobody is tolerant of all views. That is a ruse. Christ warned us of error. We are not to tolerate error. We're not to tolerate false prophets, evil men, 
imposters. We're to avoid the wide path, and the list goes on and on of things that we are not to tolerate. In the 1920s and 30s, we know how liberalism got spiked in America. Harry Emerson Fosdick, I share in my information class, started a forest fire of liberalism with a sermon, Shall the Fundamentalist Win? And that sermon is textbook theology on toleration. And oh, the toleration that was championed in those years. The Auburn Affirmation signed in 1924 by liberal Presbyterians from the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, has this quote. Some of us regard the particular theories contained in the deliverance of the General Assembly of 1923 as satisfactory explanations of these facts and doctrines. If you're not aware of that, resurrection, virgin birth, inspiration of Scripture, the miracles of Christ, the atonement, and all of these were argued as the essentials of the faith, that you, these were bedrock beliefs of Christianity, of which were under attack. And the, the affirmation continues that we are united in believing that these are not the only theories, notice how they call them theories, allowed by the scriptures and our standards as explanations of these facts and doctrines of our religion. And all who hold these facts and doctrines, whatever theories they may employ to explain them, are worthy of all confidence and fellowship. And 11 years later, These men who signed this document hold one of the most biased heresy trials where J. Gresham Machen and others are condemned as heretics for holding to a bodily resurrection, the inspiration of Scripture, the true virgin birth, the miracles of Christ as being true miracles of Christ, and the atonement as being a substitutionary atonement was was condemned as a heretic for holding to those doctrines. That's how tolerant they were for accepting all views. I could go on and on and on. The issue is this. Will we worship and serve the created order, naturalism, secularism, and humanism, or will we honor God in every area of life? Tyrants embrace the former, and godly servants the latter. We must kiss the Son and do homage to the Son. And you'll go down in history, much like Oliver Cromwell. The English can't even say that name without spitting on the ground. It is such an offense to them. A man of such piety and wisdom that if only England would have embraced that man's understanding of government, what freedoms would have ensued. So tyrants seek to destroy the church of Christ because we stand in polar opposition to all they stand for. 
The second is, I'm just putting this, tyrants want to rule the world. It's really a point about power. I think one of the quotes that sticks in my mind from Abraham Lincoln, this is not to um, give you the impression, I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what sense Abraham Lincoln meant with this. The observation is accurate. I have certainly my my disagreements with a lot of what Abraham Lincoln did in in basically enslaving America through a federal union of states rather than the the states being uh, having their rights over a federal government that 's another issue but this one on on the the way power works in the political elite um, is telling this was given at at a lyceum uh, uh, lecture i guess that Um, Anyhow, uh, he says this, quote, To suppose that men of ambition and talents will not continue to spring up among us, and when they do, they will as naturally seek the gratification of their ruling passion as others have done before them. The question then is, can that gratification gratification be found in supporting and maintaining an edifice that has been erected by others? Most certainly it cannot. Many great and good men sufficiently qualified for any task they should undertake may ever be found whose ambitions would aspire to nothing beyond a seat in Congress, a gubernatorial or presidential chair, but such belong not to the family of the lion or the tribe of the eagle. What? Think you these places would satisfy an Alexander, a Caesar, a Napoleon? Never! Towering genius disdains a beaten path. It seeks regions hitherto unexplored. It seeks no distinction in adding story to story upon the monuments of fame erected in the memory of others. It denies that it is glory enough to serve under any chief. It scorns to tread in the footsteps of any predecessor, however illustrious. It thirsts and it burns for distinction, and if possible, it will have it whether at the expense of emancipating slaves or enslaving free men. That's that quote there. I think Abraham Lincoln gets credited for emancipating slaves. I believe he enslaved free men. That's a debate for later. I'll continue the course. (laughs) Is it unreasonable then to expect that some Man, possessed of the loftiest genius, coupled with ambition, sufficient to push to its utmost stretch, will at some time spring up among us? And when such a one does, it will require the people to be united with each other, attached to the government and laws, and generally intelligent to successfully frustrate its designs. Distinction will be his paramount object, and although he would as willingly perhaps more so acquire to it by doing good as harm, yet that opportunity being passed and nothing left to be done in the way of building up, he would set boldly to the task of tearing it down.
there's so much in here that it's just, I say, amen. And, and, and the reality of what history has been in terms of a federalized central government has become a detriment to America. One said that uh, Abraham didn't free the slaves, he only enlarged the plantation. <laughs> I think has some merit. <laughs> Um, but anyhow, the point here is you get it. A, a presidency is not enough for a man who wants power. President of the United States is not enough. He wants to be where no other person has been. And tyrants seek that power. It's an insatiable thirst. And he's right that the only way to deal with this is to be united in standing against this to kind of tyranny. And we'll end the, end the sermon here. Um, and I will apologize to the, to the radio crew, the radio audience. You'll have to come in and be a Patreon or something of Oak Hill to get the rest of the story. <laughs> but I want to continue with the rest of my notes for you. But let's uh, pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies to us. And I pray that, that the appropriate applications would would come in for those who've not heard the remainder of this. We ask your mercies and blessings, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Our church is located at the corner of Mono Way, Highway 108, and Peaceful Valley Road in East Sonora, California. The church with the crosses. Our weekly worship service begins at 9.45 a.m., We would be delighted to have you join us as we worship Almighty God, explore His Word, and fellowship in Christian love. If you would like a copy of today's message or more information about Oak Hill, please visit our website at oakhillopc.org.